I love this unexpected extended family. They always sit on the second row. I get to know people better if you sit in the first two or three rows. So this past week, I spent almost the entire week in Virginia and Tennessee, where my uh, family is. It was on one side uh, uh, a week of uh, kind of euphoric joy because we celebrated Friday my dad's 91st birthday, and, and he's doing great. He is doing great. <clears throat> But on the other side, this is the way life is, isn't it? It was a week of agonizing discussion about this challenge that we call faith, how, how we trust God. Because my sister, some of you know, unexpectedly, tragically, prematurely lost her husband just about a month ago. And she has had plans for this Christmas season. And this was not a part of her plans. And so that readjusting, and many of you are going through the same kinds of things, right? For different reasons. And that brings us to this fourth Sunday of Advent. It's Joseph and Mary Sunday. And what we're going to be doing, and, and you know, when things like this happen in my life, it kind of shapes the message. So it, you'll hear that it does. But we're going to be thinking about these two people, Mary and Joseph, who had plans for their lives. And from the rest of the world looking at them, the plans were good plans. It's what you're supposed to do in this society, what they were going to be doing. And then things out of their control began to happen. Things from outside themselves broke into their lives. And then the world looked at what they were doing. And what happened they thought was either wrong uh, or it was painful or it was just random and chaotic. But I'm telling you, the world was wrong. And the point I'm going to try to convince you of is this. When Mary and Joseph lost control over their own lives, then they actually found the lives for which they were created. And the same is true of you. So let's start this way. Um, one of my favorite poets, U.A. Fanthorpe, a Brit uh, from the last century, uh, wrote a poem about Joseph as she thought about him and his plans uh, for his future. This is what she wrote. I put it here. I am Joseph, carpenter of David's kingly line. I wanted an heir, discovered my wife's son wasn't mine. I am an obstinate lover, love Mary for better or worse, wouldn't stop loving when I found someone else came first. Mine was the likeness I hoped for when the firstborn man-child came. But nothing of him was me. I couldn't even choose his name. I am Joseph, who wanted to teach my own boy how to live. Can you emphasize, empathize with Joseph's hopes? I mean, when you think about Joseph, he, he wanted to get married. In fact, that, that had probably been a lifelong part of his planning. Uh, if you go back into the ancient world, uh, this relationship between him and Mary had probably been an arranged marriage by their parents since they were children. That was always the first step, that engagement period. They'd also come through stage number two because the couple could get out of that arrangement. But then when they entered into what's called the betrothal, when they were betrothed to one another, then the promises they made were as binding as getting married. The only difference was they continued to live in their separate family homes 
And they, were, they would not have uh, sexual relations with one another until the official married, marriage happened. So here when we meet Joseph, I mean, he had plans. <laughs> he had plans of, of getting married. I'm sure he had plans of having his own family. He had plans, surely, of naming his own children and then teaching them how to live. So I've got to ask you, if you're going to get into this sermon, do you have any plans for the future? Anything so you think, that, that's what I want to have happen, maybe even for this Christmas season? Uh, we, all, we all have plans. Uh, so usually the great American dream is the plan to uh, you know, go to college, uh, meet somebody there, maybe get into my career, then get married, uh, have children maybe. Uh, succeed in the career and retire, have grandchildren, you know, all those kind of plans. It's not bad. It's not bad to have plans. And so Joseph and Mary, I think, had really, really good plans. And then God broke in. God broke in. When God broke in, in the short term, it was tough. But here's what I'm going to try to point out. When they learned to trust God... And trust him in such a way that they actually continue to follow and obey him and live for him. They found what the Bible calls eternal life. They found the reason why they were here. They found a purpose for their lives. And, and what I want us to do on what we call a Christmas Sunday is to try to think about what this, what this couple learned. I think it's at the very heart of our faith. It's going to be, I think, I pray a simple message but it's one that, at least for me, it, it, it's the message that I talked about all week with my sister. And I pray that uh, you and I will both find this to be true of our own lives. So what on earth do we learn as we watch this couple that we think about on this fourth Sunday of Advent? Uh, number one, I think they had to learn this. Uh, that there is a bigger story going on in this universe than my own personal plans. I'm just looking out to see if anybody's... There's something bigger going on than just my own personal plan. Now, if, if you believe that, when you actually believe that and you consciously, intentionally accept that that is true, that there is someone bigger than I am working out a plan here, it changes our lives. So I've got to ask you, do you believe, okay, we're in church, do you believe that the God of the Bible is actually involved in this world and is working out a plan in this world that when he is done, Revelation 21 and 22 will actually happen and everything will be beautiful. Do you believe that? Well, I heard you. I'm going to call you to that sometimes. Because I find that churchgoers and non-churchgoers alike somehow have intuitively think there must be something bigger going on than just me. I hear people say that even if they're just not religious at all. There's something bigger at play around here, meaning that there's someone or something working out some purpose that all of this stuff must fit into. Or even when you hear a phrase like, whenever something awful happens in the world, that ought not happen. I'm telling you, that is a strange, powerful word, that word ought. It means that you think that there's some standard of morality, that whatever happened over here, that ought not to be, and there must be someone who determines such things. You see what I'm getting at? Even though most human beings intuitively think that there must be some sort of a deity out here who brings order and direction to the world. Now listen to me. Even we churchgoers usually ignore that 
and live as if the whole world revolves around us. Mm-hmm. Got one, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and when other things happen out there, oh, that can't be. Instead of saying, all right, all right, what, what is happening here and is it better than what I would have chosen? Is there someone bringing order to what sometimes seems to be random and even chaotic? Now, uh, there's an artist named John Baldessari. He's a Southern California artist. I think he lives in Santa Monica. He has played around with this theme because uh, Baldessari has seen that there are things in this world that just seem to be random. But he thinks that good artists have the ability to take things that look like they are random and, and bring order out of them, bring some shape and symmetry to them. He calls it a new sense of order. He has a lot of paintings or photographs about this. I'd like to show you all of them because, well, my son showed them to me. They're just fascinating things. But one of the things he plays around with are just kind of randomly throwing balls up in the air. And he says it looks like a random chaotic thing, but, you know, an artist has the ability to reshape and redo those things. So it seems to have order. So I'm going to show you one, just one of the pictures. I wanted to show you a lot, but you wouldn't stay with me all day. So here it is. You see someone throwing balls up in the, order, but in the air. But look at, the, at what happens there. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This, these things look like they have shape. Do they always do that? You just throw balls up in the air. They have squares and symmetry and, and shape. What Baldessari says is this. Well, maybe not. But as an artist, I have the ability to manipulate all of this, have pictures shot from many different places, order and organize those, those pictures, even reframe things so that we can take things that seem chaotic and bring order and beauty out of them. Now you know that he, he still is making this very subjective. I have the power to bring order out of the random. But what if he is fundamentally right about that? What if, if we pull this on a much, much higher perspective, a much bigger plane? There is actually a God, like the God of the Bible says he is, who is able to take all of these things in this world and take what looks like it is chaotic and random, and sometimes even unjust and wrong in this world, and says, if you wait for a moment, I am eventually going to bring something, well, the way the Bible puts it is, that reflects my glory. Uh, people who don't go to church, to glorify God means that we reflect something of what God is like. And when we look at this world, sometimes it looks like this world that God has made doesn't reflect what the Bible says He is like. There are things in this world that look unjust, completely unloving, chaotic, and absolutely random. God says, though, that when I'm done, you are going to see that everything I have made, because, you know, God is the great artist, when an artist makes something, what an artist makes reflects so much of what that artist is. When God says, when I'm done, it's going to reflect to, to the entire universe who I am. It will reflect my justice, though you don't see it now. It will reflect my order and beauty, and it will reflect the love that is at the heart of my very being. Do you believe that God's able to do that? Now let's take that and apply it to Joseph's story. Joseph discovered that his own plans could go awry in a way that it looked like, if you had been Joseph, it was absolutely random and senseless. He learned that his fiancée Mary was pregnant outside of wedlock. When he found it out, Joseph, at least as I read him, he sought, he fought uh, to keep his emotions under control and that betrayal from just boiling over. 
You can imagine, this is not what I have planned for. This was supposed to be a serious and beautiful marriage relationship and it's become a scandalous disaster to my whole family and to my whole community. Now, as I was thinking about talking to you, I remember when I was just a beginning pastor in Wisconsin. I had a, a young church member. I had just done his wedding. I think it was a few weeks before. And when he came in to see me, his young wife had already been unfaithful to him. What he said to me was, Pastor Greg, I think I feel like Joseph must have felt. I don't even feel like a man anymore. Everything I've been hoping for and planning for has been shattered. I mean, what do I do? Do I run away from here and just start all over? I'm so embarrassed. I'll tell you what I want to do. And this was a big guy. I want to go and hurt that guy. And what do I do with my wife? Nothing can ever be the same again. I just don't know what to do. I'm telling you, these are the hard times to try to be a pastor. But you may say, Pastor, that's not a good illustration here because uh, Mary had not been unfaithful to Joseph. So I have to ask you, how could Joseph have believed her? Now, we 21st century people seem to think that these 1st century people are gullible and dumb. I tell you, don't believe it. Joseph knew how women got pregnant. <laughs> and he knew he wasn't the one who had done it. Notice that powerful phrase in Matthew 1.18. It was before they came together. Which, if you put yourself into Mary's shoes, made her situation even more difficult than at least I could ever imagine. I mean, don't you think it's hard enough when I really have messed up and then there are consequences to my messing up? I mean, we've all had that happen. We've all had that happen. And then somehow we think, yeah, I wish that didn't happen. I wish I had been found out. But I do deserve us. I mean, I think few of us, when we go to church, can be self-righteous and pretend we haven't had times when we have done wrong and then our parents found out about it, or our friends found out, and, and life just seemed to be a mess because we made a mess of it. But here with Mary, this pregnancy had happened by no choice of her own. And as a result, she must have felt this is unjust, this is unfair, it's, this seems hopeless. For Mary, her, her long-time hope of having a beautiful marriage and family, that dream was a pipe dream. So here, I've got to stop. This is, this is where this week is. I, it's so much easier to preach about it than to actually wrestle with it on a one-to-one -one level as I try to talk with my uh, sister about these things. Let me tell you that God is one who steps in to this messy world and deals with that thing. And, and it's going to be messy no matter how, how you do it because sin has come into this world. Uh, he'll step into our lives and find a way to forgive our past and cleanse them, though, though we rightly deserve whatever consequences come. But even when he steps into those times when what has happened to us comes from the outside, that because of what somebody else has done, it's still going to be messy in this world. I want you to look at verse 21. There's one little phrase there that, that, that I want us to grab hold of. God turns to them and he wants them to know, I have something bigger that I'm working out here. Uh, Joseph, he says, through his angel, son of David, I want you to notice that phrase, Joseph, 
son of David, do not fear. See, what the angel was saying was that God knew this was not all of what Joseph had wanted, certainly not what he would have prayed for. Would you have prayed for this? He wanted him to know, Joseph, you know this, that a bigger and better plan is in the works. This isn't you, son of David. There was something that goes back generations before you that, that I am going to be doing that brings about a beautiful future, son of David. You've got to learn to trust me. And in fact, if you'll read through Matthew, and you'll see where he starts with that genealogy, if you have a Bible in front of you, the first 17 verses give us this genealogy. And it looks random there. Names going back to the, to the patriarch, to the forefather of, of the Jewish people, to Abraham. And what he is saying is, Joseph, this isn't you. This isn't a shock to me. I know it seems like it to you that it's random, but it is not. And uh, if you look at the names of the people in that genealogy, oh man, I'm sure none of you remember I preached this sermon from that genealogy a number of years ago, just pointing out that these were the most messed up people. Why on earth did God choose to put the people that everybody knew had failed miserably into the genealogy of the coming of the Son of God into this world? Oh, some would say, but wait a minute. David, the great King David, our greatest king, he's in the genealogy. But look at verse 6. Why did God have to highlight the greatest moral fall of David's entire life in this genealogy? The child who was born was really the son of Uriah's wife. You know that story? Why does God have to highlight that stuff here? It's as if God is saying this. Mary and Joseph and to us I know what's happened in my world I know the evil and the injustice and, and the chaos that is in my world I know the darkness that is there I'm going to enter into it and to Mary and Joseph Mary and Joseph when I enter in there's no way to enter in and do what I'm going to do without at least in the short run this seeming to be awfully messy Mary and Joseph I know you. Mary and Joseph, I have plans for you. So your life might be awkward and painful for a while. But listen to me. Where there is sin, I am finding a way to forgive and save those who have sinned. And where you have done right, and it seems wrong that you're facing humiliation, I will prove myself to be who I am. I will prove myself to be just. Trust me, there is a bigger plan at work. You see, with that little phrase, son of David, God is saying that he held yesterday. And in that yesterday, there is a promise of a future where all will be made just and right and loving. Therefore, the present is a part of that whole. And he's turning to them and says, you are a part of my plan. And he said that to unlikely and unexpected people like Mary and Joseph. And he says it to you today too. He says it to you today too. So that's the first point. God's working a bigger plan than just us. Number two. Now, that story, that bigger plan, is God's story. So guess who's in control? This is not a palatable sermon for Southern California. The story is God's story. 
So we've got to let him be in control. He is the one in control. Now, here's what I see. The people I meet here are mostly religious in some ways. I, I, I think Southern Californians are the most religious people I've ever met. I mean, we find some who aren't, but most are. But the tendency for religious people is to try to see how can I tap into that spiritual power over there so I can get that thing to do what I want it to do. Do you know that that's what magic has always been about in religions? Trying to figure out some magic potion to get the forces that are, the deity that might be out there to do what I want it to do. Most, most religions have been that. All these religious rituals that if I'll show up and do them, then I'll get, get the deity to do what I want him to do. We have even reduced the Christian faith to that at times. Uh, trying to say, oh, if I show up at church and, and if I pray in the right way, I can get God, manipulate God to do what I want him to do. Sometimes people think the pastor is the key to that, that, that I've been giving imagined one. Pastor, if you will pray for me, this is going to happen, what, what I want to have happen. I'm just not very good at it, am I? Have, have you noticed that? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not very good at it. Uh, so Joseph here had, had probably thought about religion in that way. He was a good man. Even when he learned of his fiancée's pregnancy, he wanted to do what was good. He didn't have to do what he did. His laws would have allowed him to have publicly humiliated her. In fact, if a woman had been taken in adultery, she could have been stoned. But Joseph opted not to do that. Instead, he found a way. He said, okay, plan A is not going to work. So I'm going to go to plan B. I'm going to put you away quietly. Now, I really respect what he did. I do. But do you see, Joseph was still trying to control the situation. But what broken-hearted Joseph didn't know, and, and what you and I often don't know when things go wrong in our lives, is that God was at the center of what was taking place. God was at the center of that. So Joseph devised his plan, and not long after he had devised this plan, this is what I'm going to do, Mary, uh, you know, this isn't working out, but I'm going to not humiliate you, this is what I'm going to do. God broke into his life through a dream, and an angel came to him and said, Joseph, this pregnancy is not from another man, it is from the Holy Spirit, and you have to uh, not put Mary away, and you have to be the one who takes care of this child. Now, I'll tell you, I can imagine myself thinking through the rest of my life, wow, that dream, was that thing real? I mean, a dream, sometimes you wonder, did I just come up with that? So I, was thinking, so I was watching Dickens' Christmas Carol, and you know that section where Jacob Marley, do you know this? You do, don't you? Jacob Marley comes in to, to Scrooge. And Scrooge doesn't believe that he's really there. And Marley says to him, Scrooge, don't you even trust your own senses? And, and, and Scrooge says, well, no, we know that many things can affect our human senses. Why, said Marley, you might be a bit of undigested beef. Do you remember that, that line? I think there would have been times in my life that I would have looked back and I thought, oh, for goodness sakes, how could, how could this possibly be true? This has never happened before, a woman becoming pregnant like this. And I'll tell you today, I don't think it's happened since. Do I trust this dream? But he did. And, and at the bottom line of this is only one of them could be in control. It was either God or Joseph. And, and don't miss this point. It's huge in this text. 
Joseph wasn't even allowed to name his son. For a uh, Jewish man, one of the greatest privileges of all of his life was the privilege of naming his children. It was a great honor. It goes all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2. God created the world, and when he created the creatures, even though God had made everything and he owned everything, God gave to human beings the privilege, to Adam, the privilege of naming creatures. What naming meant was that you had to care for them, you had uh, to steward them, you had to manage them, you had to control them. By the time Joseph came along, uh, almost everything had been named. (laughs) Uh, But the naming of a child is one of the greatest honors of a parent's life. That's why we often miss verse 21 in our culture. But it was huge for Joseph. The angel said, you shall not name your son Joseph. You shall call him Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sin. Is the point clear to you? I think it is so powerful. Joseph would never be able to manage Jesus. Um. Jesus would be the one who would have to manage Joseph, redirect his life, and even save his life. And what it means, I've I've got to say this as clearly as I can, is that when you and I become followers of Jesus, it means he comes into our lives and takes over. We've done something to the following of Jesus that Jesus never had envisioned. We've made it sort of an add-on, a nice little religious add-on to the rest of our lives. So, you know, I'll, 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 uh, I'll have my family, that's great, I'll have my investments... I'll have my career. You know, I'll show up at church too. That makes a nice, nice little life. And then Jesus breaks in and says, I am the Lord of the universe. And if he comes into our lives, like with Joseph, things will happen that we would never ask for, never expect, never pray for. And we have to trust him and follow him and obey him. So what did Joseph do? We will see. But one of the things he learned was, uh, well, I think C.S. Lewis saw it so powerfully. He puts it into story form in ways that I'll never forget it. So if you've never read these, eventually I'll use so many illustrations, you'll have to read them. In the, uh, when the children had gone into this other world of Narnia and everything was gone, everything had gone wrong. And then Aslan, the Christ figure, comes in and things are beginning to change. But the children had never seen him. And they were with these beavers. I know it sounds crazy, but it's really good. (laughs) And then they find out that Aslan is a lion. And the children say, a lion? Is he tame? And the beaver says, of course not. He's a lion. (laughs) But he's good. And I've got to tell you, that's who God is. God is not tame. When he comes in, he says, we can't stay the way we are. But man, he is good. And the story, when we give into it, has to be his story, which brings me to the last point. So there is a much bigger story going on than just me. Uh, That story is God's story. There's something he is doing. And number three, I then find my life when I surrender to his will. When I say, okay, if that's it, then I will follow you and I will obey you. I will trust you. You see, the Bible says that's what faith is about. Uh, when we place our faith in Jesus, we entrust our past to him, don't we? And really believe that, that he will forgive us. He will. If you come and there are things wrong in your past, he was ready to cast those as far as east is from the west. More than that, he'll build on some of the painful things in your past. 
It's, it's a beautiful thing that he does. So we give our past to him and therefore we entrust the future to him. That he's going to make all things better and you and that includes you and me. But what I'm saying today is that brings us back into right now. And you and I have to entrust the present day decisions to him. So what did Joseph do? Uh, I wish you didn't know the story, but you do. But it's there in verse 24. Just look at it. I'm going to put it here. It's the heart of faith. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. Faith leads to us obeying the Lord Jesus. Now, I, I'm telling you, that was not always easy. Even with this angelic insider information. <laughs> there were times that came that he had a hard time, I'm sure, living in the midst of this. Can't you imagine that his friend said, what is this Holy Spirit coming upon her? Ha! There, there's evidence that there were a lot of um, uh, criticisms that were made of Jesus as being illegitimate later in his life. I'm sure there were many times that Joseph and Mary wondered, when is this salvation coming that God talked about? Look at Mark 3, 31 to 35, and you'll see that the family itself had doubts at that point about Jesus. And then at the very end, can you imagine seeing him hanging on the cross, convicted as a criminal? Don't you think you would wonder, was that dream real? And yet the point I want to make to you is in the midst of all those doubts, in the midst of all of that kind of discouraging things, in, in, in the midst of all those understandably difficult questions that Joseph and Mary must have had, they chose to trust God and to obey Him. Joseph legally wed Mary and he named the child Jesus. I'll tell you, when he did it, he laid his life on the line for God. That's what we do. And he found his life. That's why we're talking about him here today. I'm just telling you that when God breaks into our lives, it's seldom what we expect, right? It's almost never what we would ask for. And now you've got to believe me on this. It is always, at the end of the day, better. It is always better. You will find your life when you trust him and you obey him. So, I'm going to give you a couple of verses. I want you to make sure you take home when tough times hit. Isaiah 55. This was a prophet who told so much about the Messiah. Verses 1 through 9. This is what he says. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. And in the language of Isaiah, what he meant was the life you're looking for, the life that has purpose and meaning. Come, God is ready to give it to you. How do we find it? Verse 6. Seek the Lord. While he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. That means let the wicked forsake his way. Let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. And then he will abundantly pardon. Hallelujah. But then this part. For God says. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. Declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. It must have been hard for Joseph and Mary to have believed that when they were in the midst of this situation. But we are here today because we know it was true. They needed a Savior, so do we. 
And this whole situation is what led to the coming of our Savior. I am thinking, and and what led to, to my sermon today is I was thinking Mary and Joseph were called upon to look back to those who had gone before them and what real faith looks like. I've been wanting to talk to you today about what real faith looks like in everyday living. So Joseph and Mary would have said, so what does this look like? And I think they would have said, well, it looks a lot like Abraham of old, who, when he was a young man, was told by God, leave this place. Where to, Lord? Wherever I send you. What, what am I supposed to do, Lord? Whatever I tell you. What are the benefits, Lord? The benefit of being in the center of my will. Didn't you say something about a son? Yes, but he will come much later than you think. I think they must have thought about this old man, Moses, who, do you remember, facing one day, on one side... The unknown depths of rising, raging waters of the Nile. And on the other side, he saw the most mighty military army, the Egyptian army coming at him. And the Lord saying, you have everything you need. Uh, What do I have? You, You have a staff. Oh, what do I do? Lift it up and take a step and you will see the glory of the Lord. It must be like a a boy named David who was sent one day to face a fully armed and by armor protected giant named Goliath. What, a a slingshot? And a few rocks? Anything else, Lord? Yes, I will go with you. And on this fourth Sunday of Advent... The thing I want you to remember today is, what does faith look like? It looks like a teenager named Mary. You will be pregnant without ever having sex, Mary. But it's from me, Mary. And you will find what real life is all about through trusting me. And she simply said, Lord, may it be done to me according to your will. And it is like Joseph being told, do not fear to take Mary to be your wife, for what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and you shall name the child Jesus. And then we are simply told, he woke up from sleep, and he did what the Lord commanded. Ironically, It is through this son that Joseph found his own salvation and he found the life that God had made him for. And so will you. To his glory. Amen. May we bow our heads in prayer. I learned after last night's service and this morning's service that there are so many people walking through the same kind of issues that my sister is walking through. People who lost their jobs unexpectedly here at Christmas time. 
people who have experienced tragic deaths of little children in their families, people in our family who have been told they have terminal cancer, so many things people walked through the door and told me about that were not what they had planned. Perhaps that's where you are today too. Can you find the faith to turn to Him and say, Lord, my life is yours. I don't understand what you're doing, but I will trust you. Father, on behalf of each one here, I pray that you would be so real to us this morning that you would give to each one the strength to say, yes, Lord, my faith is in you. I imagine you wonder, like the young man wondered to me, what do I do next? I, I, I imagine you know at least one or two things you should do. Go and give witness to Jesus. Engage in an act of kindness. Go and try to bring reconciliation. Lord, when we don't know all that is ahead of us, I pray that you would give us enough vision to know what we should do next. And then, Father, again, on behalf of each one here, I pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to do what is right. Finally, Lord, there, there are surely some people among this many people who have never really known you as their God. And you tell us that you are ready to be known if we place our faith in Jesus. Father, for them, I pray that this would be a time that they know from the depths of their being that you are real, that they would turn their sins over to you and turn their futures over to you and by faith follow Jesus. Father, on behalf of them, I pray that you would work in their hearts. Draw them to yourself. To the life for which you made them. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.